Man, it's so good. It's, today has already been good. Can we just agree with that? Uh, today has already been fantastic. And, and I do, I want to take just about 35 seconds and just invite you personally to Nights of Revival. Uh, it, it's a thing that we do every single year where we come together as a church and we say, hey, we want to carve out some extra time to worship Jesus, to declare his goodness, his supremacy over our lives. And, and we want to invite you to be a part of that. If you need a fresh word from God, if you need a fresh encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, do not miss nights of revival. Our guest speakers are going to be Jimmy Seibert from Antioch, Waco, who's going to be coming. We have Susan Peters, who is the founder and president of Unbound Antioch's anti-sex trafficking movement that has had incredible uh, impact around the nation. And as well as we have a few special guests, maybe even a few special guest worship teams that are going to be joining us. You need to stay tuned to get more of that information. We want to keep you guessing a little bit, all right? It's going to be fun. But at the very least, if you don't register today, at the very least, put it in your calendar that it's coming because you're not going to want to miss it, all right? It's going to be a transformative, transformative time. Well, right off the bat today, uh, I just want to jump into the Word. Is that cool? Can we just read the Bible for a little bit? I, I want to read for us uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and when you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... If you have a Bible actually in your hand or you have a phone, I want you to underline that word, but. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love which he, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Today, I want to talk to us about the catapulting nature of grace. The catapulting nature of grace. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're already doing today. Just amazing to see so many families putting a stake in the ground and saying, as for us in our house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to raise godly kids and we're going to invest in our relationships and we're going to invest in the relationship that we have with you so that we can lead our families in the right way. It's a powerful thing, Jesus, that you've already done. And I ask that as we open up your word, would you open our hearts and our minds to, to leave with a better understanding of the catapulting nature of the grace that you have for us. And everybody shout it because you're not watching golf. 
In the early 2000s, um, I uh, had the really cool opportunity to be the chaplain of Baylor football. Now, uh, this story was already planned to be in the mix before I knew we were going to handle business over Oklahoma. So this is not plugged in as some sort of like, I am wearing a gold shirt today on purpose. This is intentional, just a subtle, that's right, we won. Uh, just it feels good. You know, when I went to Baylor, we didn't win. And so now that we are winning, it feels like that every time we do actually get a W, it's like the greatest thing that's ever happened. And in the 2000s, I was basically a part of the football team and I was at all the practices and I got to work out and train with the team and it was amazing. And we were seeing some football players give their lives to Jesus. We had this, this full access to pray for anybody who was hurt, sick. We, it was amazing. It was a rich, rich time. And, and the last year that I did it was actually my wife and I were preparing to move to Seattle, Washington to plant the Antioch Church that is, is still there today. And, and so I knew it was kind of my last hurrah. I was winding down my life uh, working on staff at Antioch Waco as we were winding up our lives, getting ready to plant a new church. And so as my life was winding down, I had a lot of extra time to just spend at the football facility. And so I would just like hang out during practices on the sideline and, and just get to know guys and, and just be there. And there was this one player specifically. So when we were, when new players would come in, right? So the freshmen, they start at the very beginning of the year, there's different things they need to do to make sure they're in shape and ready to go. So this guy is like, no joke, the hugest human being I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, it, it's hard to describe the level of big this dude was. Like, minimum 6'8", 350 minimum pounds, a massive human being. He was so big that we did not even have a helmet. This is a Division I program. We did not have a helmet that was large enough to fit this guy. They were having to special order it. And so he was so big that because we didn't have a helmet for him, he just had to hang out on the sideline with me. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're talking and, you know, we're, we're kind of messing around and, and having a good time. And the offensive line coach hears us not paying attention, basically. And so he turns and barks at this young guy and he's like, you better be listening to this coaching. Now, we were kind of messing with each other. And so as soon as the offensive line coach left, I was like, yeah, man, you better listen. You better be listening to this coaching, man. And then I repeated what the coach had been saying, which is that you need to start your pass protection with a powerful punch. And so I was like, yeah, man, you better start your pass protection with a powerful punch, man. And I turned, and I'm like, dude, punch me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start your pass protection with a powerful punch. And he kind of laughs. You know, it's like, it's like, kind of like whenever you see a chihuahua, and they're coming at you like, ah! And you're like, come on. They're like, come on, come on. And then you look at them like, you know, in that cue? This is little... That's kind of how he looked at me, a little smirk, kind of like, oh, isn't that fun, you know, and kind of just taps my shoulders. I'm like, come on, man. Punch, man. Come on, man. Punch me. You know, give me a punch. And he kind of laughs and kind of shoves me again a real, you know, light. And I was like, man, come, dude, is it for real? That's all you got? Big homie, six foot eight, we ain't got a helmet for you? Start your pass protection with the punch. This dude hit me so hard, okay? Look, I can't even describe to you. It, I think he hit the flavor out of my gum. I'm talking about he jolted me so violently that my feet left the ground. 
I, I like lost my breath. It was horrible. And, and he starts laughing, and I'm laughing too, like, <laughs> you know, and I walk away. And now you would have thought I was probably crying, but it was amazing because like a piece of dirt like got in my eye right as he had punched me. And so it looked like I was crying, but like really, I wasn't really crying, you know. I was just trying to get the dirt out my eye, and I walked you know, to get the dirt out of my eye, and I walked by myself, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing that ever again. (laughs) You know, when you really get jolted in life, you remember it. When you really get jolted, you remember, like a jolt is a course, it's course correcting. Like I am never going to go up to a six foot eight, 350 pound man ever again and say, punch me in the chest. I'm never going to do that. I'm never, because I've, I, I got jolted and I'm not, and it changed me. It reminded me I'm a chihuahua in this game. When we really get jolted, it's course correcting. It's unforgettable. And when we read Ephesians 2, what Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is telling us is that grace is a course correcting, unforgetting jolt. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sin in which you were once walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. But. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love that which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ i want you to look at your neighbor and say there is a jolt in that butt y'all didn't say it cuz you're uncomfortable but i want you to say it because you're never going to forget it there is a jolt in that butt not in your butt there's a jolt it's a key word make sure you hear right there's a jolt in that but, But the grace of God is shown to us not just to cover. It's not given to us as, as an allotment over our sin. The grace of God is a catapult out of our life of sin. Let me say that again. The grace that God shows us is not simply what's allotted to us because of our lives that are filled with sin. No, the grace of God is a catapult for us out of our life of sin. Grace might be best defined as the unmerited favor of God that he displays towards us and is given freely to us regardless of what we've done. Not to preach my message from last week, but just to remind us of one line, that the space between our performance and God's perfection is made up by the work that Jesus did on the cross. And this is precisely why the but in Ephesians 2.4 has a jolt in it. Because it's where our story changes. 
It's the moment where the direction of where we were heading in our life turns. The but in Ephesians 2.4 is the moment where we step from walking around dead to taking our first breath of real life. It's the moment where the things that we are craving become the things that we hate. The but in Ephesians 2.4 shows us that grace is a destiny-changing course correcting catapult. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the front. You've been in the back. I want you to work your way to the front. We're going to go to the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua 2. And as you're flipping in your phone or digging out your Bible, I want you to say again, there's a jolt in that butt. The book of Joshua in the story of God is a moment when the people of God are stepping into what had been promised. They had been promised a land that would be the promised land that would be abundant and provision. It had been carved out for them, made for them, and the living God had given it freely to them. And they had been wandering around in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience and their lack of commitment to simply be obedient to the things that God had asked them to do. And now it's the time where they are stepping from wandering to possessing the land that had been promised for them. Now, before they got there, the backstory is that they had been rescued from slavery from the Egyptians. God had kept them warm at night by fire over them. He had kept them cool during the day with a cloud that would cover and lead them. He had provided meals for them from the sky of manna and quail, yet still in light of the provision and the miraculous intervention of Jesus in their lives, they still did not do the things that God asked them to do. While they were on the mount, while Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, they're building an idol to worship. They were not faithful. Their story was not one of commitment and obedience. The story of the people of God was a story of rebellion and division and, and, and complaining and whining. And yet God was faithful to the promise. Why? Because grace does not change God's behavior. Our behavior does not change God's behavior. Our behavior does not change God's behavior. And this moment when the people are going from wandering to possessing is a picture for us that God was faithful even when the people were not. That God continued to lean in even as the people continued to turn away. And in Joshua 2, if I can find it here. Joshua 2, on the very front end of them stepping across the Jordan River and encountering this land that they've been given, this is what happens, okay? Now, understand, they've been waiting for this for a long time. They've been longing for this, waiting for this, dreaming of this moment, and this is what happens. We're going to read a bunch of scripture here. Can you hang with me? Moses is with me. Thank you, Moses. 
Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shemit. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the man came to the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left, and I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them under some stalks of flax, and she had laid out on the roof. And so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that it is a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did to Siang and Ogai and the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who were completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sister and all belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. And so she let them down by rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. I find the interjection of this prostitute named Rahab at best confusing, at worst, troubling, why would these men go to her house? Why, why would they even be there? What, what were they planning on doing there? There is no scenario that makes this at all a part of a story of the people of God stepping from wandering to possessing the promise of God over them look like it had a strong start. Unless God again was showing us that his grace is bigger than our behavior. Behavior, our behavior does not affect his behavior. And the spies found Rahab because Rahab's life was a reflection of their lives. Their past was not a past of perfection. 
The people of God has, has a story of brokenness and a history of, uh, of people that have turned their back on God, prostituting themselves out to anything and everything that seemed like that would satisfy or help them. They gave themselves to anyone and anything. The story of the people of Israel was not a clean one. It was a complex one. Loaded with failure and sin, bad choices that, that led to real consequences. And here we have Rahab, a woman who has given herself to the highest bidder. And by all, including herself, she was seen as dirty and used. Yet in the mystery of God, finds herself in the middle of the jolt and a very significant but in the people of God's story. Right before they possess what they've been promised, we, we get introduced to Rahab. That like lied so that they could be safe. And why were they there in the first place? And what? confusing. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense because her behavior does not look like a hero. I never grew up in Sunday school and said, y'all, I'm going to be like Rahab. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't roll off my tongue like, man, you know, no, no shirts at the Christian bookstore. Go Rahab. Be a Rahab woman. You know, be a Joshua 2-1 woman. You know, that, that, it, that shirt is not there. In the mystery of God, she finds herself in the middle of the story of God because her behavior did not affect God's behavior towards her or his plan to use her. And so she protects and helps the spies, and God protects and helps her. But the grace of God did not just protect her. Hear me, it jolted her. Because the grace of God, again, is not just given to us to a lot over what we have done. The grace of God is given to us to jolt us out of the sin that we are in. And so Rahab encounters the grace of God. And he protects her, and he, and he, he saves her family, and she spared from the destruction that was coming to the people that lived in Jericho. But he didn't just protect her. He gave her a new life. Because remember, grace is a catapult. Grace throws us. It, it moves us. And right in that moment, when she experienced the grace of God, Rahab's life changed. Her story changed. And she had a story that was the wrong kind. She had the wrong kind of story. I don't know if maybe you feel like you have the wrong kind of story. Rahab was born to the wrong family. Her ancestors opposed God. They didn't just not like the idea of God. They were, they were actually those who opposed the people of God. She didn't come from a God-fearing family. She came from a God-hating family. 
that she found herself mixed up in a life that she did not want, yet she was thrown into out of need. And it was what she hated and what everyone around her despised her for, yet still used her for. She had the wrong kind of story. You know, what her story earned her was to actually die with everyone when God's people invaded Jericho. That's what her story had earned her, her history, her past, her decisions, is that she would not be spared from the destruction. But Rahab's story was jolted by grace. She didn't receive what she deserved. She received the unmerited favor of God displayed to her not because of what she had done, but because of who God is. And so in that moment, Rahab's life was jolted. It was jolted, and she goes from being a prostitute to being listed in a Hebrews 11 in the Faith Hall of Fame. I want you to think about this for a minute. If you're a Bible reader, you know that, that, that Hebrews 11 is kind of like the Mount Rushmore of faith. It, 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 it defines for us that without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. It sets the template for us to understand how we are to be obedient in our life, even we don't fully understand what God is doing in our life. And then there's like this list of everyone throughout the Bible that has said yes to God in a significant way, and it changed the course of history. Hebrews 11 is filled with names like Jacob and, and Esau and Moses and Noah. And in Hebrews 11.31, Rahab? Right in the middle of, of, of everybody who was anybody in the Christian faith. Rahab? The prostitute? It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. All she did was hide a couple of dudes, and she stands with the giants of the faith, listed among the greats because she hit a couple of dudes? Yes, because there's a jolt in grace. There's a jolt in grace, a course correction, a story change that happens in grace. But look, her, her story didn't just shift a little bit and she finds herself reminded or remembered because she was a part of the story of God. No, we actually see Rahab in another place as well. In Matthew 1, and I'll be honest with you, Matthew 1 is not an often read passage. It, it is a skipped over chapter. Why? Because it's just a list of names. It's a genealogy of the beginning of time to the coming of Jesus, which is massively important. Although not exciting to read, it is historically significant because it was promised that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would come through the line of Abraham. 
And so that Matthew 1 is, is actually painting the picture for us of how we got from there to there and that the promises of God, not just the initial one, but all of them are fulfilled in Jesus' coming, living, dying, conquering sin and death, and then coming back to life. But right in the middle of Matthew 1, in this genealogy, starting in verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judea, and his brothers, and blah, 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 blah. Verse 5. Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab? Boaz, the father of Obadiah, whose mother was Ruth, obeyed the and, and the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab is King David's grandma? What? She goes from being a prostitute to not just being remembered in the story of God, a part of the people of God, but knit into the family of God? The grandmother of King David? This makes no sense unless we understand that grace is a story-changing, catapulting jolt that shifts the trajectory of our life. And so it doesn't matter if what you did before was disgraced, despicable, and Embarrassing when you meet the but that is in Ephesians 2 verse 4. It jolts you and it changes your story and it course corrects you. And what God had for you is restored to you because your behavior doesn't affect his behavior. Because he has unmerited favor towards you, given to you bestowed upon you even when you are dead in the trespasses of your sin Christ died for you demonstrated for you the jolt that would change everything in you grace is not just something we say when somebody screwed up oh grace grace no 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 grace has a jolt in it grace has a catapult in it and it it, it catapults us out of our life of sin and thrusts us into a new life in him. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. And, and I know that today some of you are here and some of you came to see some babies get de dedicated. We're going to do some baptisms, which is amazing and super fun. But some of you are here and you need a catapult right now. You, like Rahab, are not proud of who you have become. And you feel stuck. You don't know how you can get out of your story, but you know you can, you can see. Rahab could see there's a, there is something that's different than what I'm believing. She saw it affecting everybody that was around her. And so she found these guys and said, look, I don't know what it is. I don't know anything about your God, but, but I know that your God is obviously in control. And then she got jolted by grace. She got what she didn't deserve. And it changed the direction of her life. 
It didn't just change her story. It didn't just add her into Hebrews 11. It changed the course of her life, knit into the family of God forever. Why? Because the grace of God is the unmerited favor of God. It, it's not connected to what you did. It's not connected to your past. It's not connected to how great you are. The grace of God is connected to his behavior towards you. That's it. And our behavior does not affect his behavior. And so if you're here, if it, if it, look, if you're here, what, we're, what baptism is, let me just break it down for you really quick. All this is is a physical picture of the jolt of grace. That's what this is. That's why the Bible tells us we, you need to be baptized because it is a physical picture of that who I was is no longer who I am and I'm cleansed by the power of what Jesus did on the cross and I was once dead but now I'm alive and the old stays in the water and the new has come. It's a picture of the jolt of grace that who Rahab was stays in the water and she comes out the grandma of David in the family of God. Knit in, identity changed, shifted forever. Not just her, but her entire family. And if you need a jolt of grace today, if you need to be rescued, pulled out, you can. The beautiful thing about grace is that, like I've said a million times, his behavior towards us doesn't change because of our behavior. All we have to do is just confess that he's Lord, that he is who he says that he is, that he did what he said that he was going to do. And the Bible says that we're going to be saved. We're saved. We're saved from our trespass and our sin. And we can live for eternity with him in heaven. Do me a favor. Stand to your feet. We can just pull the lights down just a little bit. If you're gonna, if you know you're gonna get baptized, go ahead and head out. But look, we know that some of you are like, man, I want to get baptized, but I wasn't planning on getting baptized. But God's doing something in you. Don't worry, we planned for you. We've got clothes for you. We've got stuff for you to wear. Everything, so you can just like say yes and be obedient to what God's stirring in your heart. And because He, because that's how God works. You know what I'm saying? Like He, He knew before you knew. But that first step is giving your life to Jesus. And if you're here today and you need a jolt of grace, I want everybody just, just, just for the sake of people having a moment with God and not a moment with 300 of you, could you just close your eyes? And if, if you are like, man, I need a jolt of grace. I need to be jolted out of my life. I want to give my life to Jesus. Could you just real quickly just shoot your hand up so I can see you? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. If you raise your hand, I want you just to pray this simple prayer after me. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. My life is no longer mine. It's yours. It's been bought with a price. Forgive me. Heal me. Restore me. And jolt me into the life that you have for me. In Jesus' name.